0: Hi folks, my name is Eric Arnault, and this is the third and final part of the NerdLog Presents Your Stories June podcast, which has been all about the theme of Journey. There have been some great, great stuff from our storytellers this month, and we're ending things nicely with contributions from Chicago performers and talent Stephen Kropa, Ed Soderberg, Yusuf Abunama, Chris Crotwell, and Sawyer Hepes, as well as the usual music from Dwight Hassler and myself, plus special guest Sarah Schieber on the first tune. Uh, so Your Stories is pretty cool, right? I hope you think so if you're listening to this show. Uh, so why not come participate in the live show yourself? Uh, the next Your Stories recording is tomorrow, June 16th, 7pm at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The theme of the month is indie, since, if you didn't know, it's cake weekend in the city. Uh, cake means Chicago Alternative Comics Expo for the uninitiated uh, so if the word indie makes you think of anything, it could be independence, it could be indie art, whatever, anything you want to share, sign up on our Facebook page, uh, our Facebook event page, rather, which you can find posted on www.nerdalogs.com. As always, the show is free to attend, so even if you don't want to share a story, you can come enjoy the folks who do. So here's my usual plug, kindly asking for donations from you lovely listeners. Uh, They really help to cover the cost of things like web hosting and time invested. Uh, You can find a PayPal donate button on our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com, and any amount helps. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope to see you all soon. But wait, there's more! Because also, Sarah is going to do a song with us on viola. two viola players. A double feature. Um, This is, (laughs) I don't want to sell this song short. I hate this song, but I I think what we've come up with is really cool. I think this is the song where the band, where the Red Hot Chili Peppers really jumped the shark. Where they're just like, you know what, fuck it. Like we're just gonna say a bunch of names of places, which is really appropriate for the theme. So anyway, this sounds really cool though. I just wanted to, I wanted that to be clear. Okay, I like this song only because of that. So, Sarah Schieber. Uh, Alright, so, from an old timer to a new timer, first time at your story is Mr.
1: Steven Kropa. One more time for Steven Kropa, everybody,
2: yay!
1: <laughs> Hello, everybody, uh, yeah, kind of similar, that was good lead-in sentence or whatever, because I moved here to Chicago uh, two years uh, this coming September. Um, And I drove here for four days by myself from uh, the great mystic land of Arizona. Yes. I only lived there for a year. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I packed my things up into a 13 by 13 whatever U-Haul. Everything I owned fit in one quarter. Um, And I drove. I drove for four days by myself. And if that doesn't sound like a Duplass Brothers Movie. I don't know what is, and that's what I was expecting. You know, you, that's what I was expecting. You know, you go through life when you're younger, you expect to be bitten by a radioactive spider or the power ring to be dropped in your hands or something to happen. I'm still waiting for my Hogwarts letter, but that doesn't happen. But then you go on older and you see, oh, there's movies about twenty-somethings and they're having these magical weekends where they meet the girl or they have a rambunctious friend who switch lives or something happens. So I geared up all my You know indie rock hoping the soundtrack would spur something and (laughs) I drove I drove I drove for four days and this was gonna be my like I never felt my time had come I never felt like my Bill Dungs Roman was coming along you know I was leaving my Tatooine I was you know the TARDIS had landed (laughs) and so the first day I expected to pick up a hitchhiker and he was gonna teach me how to like unbutton my shirt more and I was gonna teach him you know to come on forgive your father and go back to school (laughs) Day one came in by and I just went to a Roy Rogers and sat and watched TV in a hotel. But day two was going to be better, day two was going to be better. I would drive along and see a cute girl driving next to me and we'd make eye contact and we'd do funny road bits and stuff like that. And it's not inspired by vacation, no, it's inspired by that one episode of Pete and Pete. That's, I always wanted that to happen, so I would just, oh, so I was like, you're going to this road stop? No? Okay, well I'm going to go to the bathroom. So that didn't happen, day two went by. Day three, I was like, I'm gonna go, there's gonna be a wedding in this hotel. (laughs) I packed a suit, I'm gonna go crash it and everyone's gonna tell stories about me. That didn't happen either. I just sat and watched New Girl and I didn't think it was gonna last. That was the premiere episode. (laughs) Day
3: four came
1: and I didn't experience what I wanted. This whole time I had been driving by myself. I didn't really call anybody. I was making up my own podcasts in the car. Uh, I figured if I was going to get an internship at Zanies, I could pick up the comics from the airport and drive them to their hotel. To do an <laughs> interview in the car. It'd be called comedy drive by. Uh, <laughs> our fans would be called carpoolers. It'd be great. <laughs> this is what I did. This is what I did. So day four, when I got to the hotel and I'm leaving, and I, I was like, yeah, "This is the last leg. This wasn't the." Journey that I wanted. This wasn't the thing that was going to change me, which I was expecting. Um, so I see the, the exit for Elixir Drive and I, I go and I see the skyline. Now, I had never been to Chicago before and I knew no one when moving here. And I'm driving and I see the skyline of the place where I'm going to make my life now, my first time making my life. And I just start screaming. <laughs> Not like a scared scream or like a, just something I'd never experienced, which just this guttural. Like, Tarzan must have screamed like this, I don't know. It's just, I started screaming and banging on the wheel. It's just like, I had done something, I had done something, and I had gotten my credit sequence. Like, if that was a Duplass Brothers movie, that would be the end of the movie. A wide <laughs> camera scream as my car drives off in the distance, and sleep boxes would play, and it would be amazing.
3: <laughs>
1: but that wasn't it, because I still had to drive to my new apartment and unpack. And I got my credit sequence, but that was just the opening credits. So, this is our opening credits, guys. You know, when you read autobiographies of people who do this type of stuff, they usually only give you like two sentences for, oh, they studied in Chicago, and then they wanted to do these amazing things. But there's so much to do between those two lines that it can be scary if you don't have anybody to fall back on. But you just gotta trust in yourself that those two lines are gonna mean a lot.
0: I'm a big fan of, of travel myself. That a part of me. So let me ask why did you move here if you didn't know anybody, you'd never been here before? What prompted your move? Uh, I
1: had I got my master's degree in higher and post-secondary education, but whilst doing that, I was studying improv, and my improv instructor said, You like you know, he didn't sound like the coach from Rocky, but he's like, You got the stuff, kid, you can go. <laughs> so I did, my lease was up. That was essentially the thing.
0: Cool? Um, yeah. Here because of comedy, that's pretty great. Yeah.
1: Well, here because you got a comedy. Let's try
0: that. My friend, one of my dearest friends in the world posted on our Facebook event that he wanted to tell a story tonight. I didn't believe him because of what he said would be involved in the story, and now I'm interested to hear it for real. Ed Soderbergh!
4: I believe what I posted is, I'll tell a story about the time Danny Bass penetrated me in Tokyo. (laughs) So, um, I met Danny in China, on a... I met Danny and China on a uh, study abroad we're in law school together and um, I kind of said I didn't really enjoy China that much and since I was in the hemisphere I thought okay well maybe I'll fly to Japan after this does anyone else want to go um, Danny was one of the only two people who said yes I wish the other person hadn't said yes she's a separate story <laughs> But that's because Danny's kind of adventurous. He travels you know, light and he'll go anywhere and he'll do just about anything, including penetrating me in Tokyo. So uh, we land an hour outside of Tokyo, whatever the name of the international uh, airport is. It's like 10 at night um, and we don't know where we're gonna stay. I just thought I was gonna be doing this. I sort of spoke Japanese at the time and I thought, how bad could it be as a first world country? I'm not gonna die there. Um, so we end up getting a hotel in uh, Icapakura, and um, we get there. It's this uh, me and Danny share a room, and this, this girl goes to another room. It's this tiny little room with this tiny little bathroom, uh, showered like you think would be on a submarine. And, um, and uh, so we're just going to like clean up there and head out. So before we head out, uh, Danny's in the bathroom for a while. I thought I heard him laughing or something, maybe. He's always tinkering with stuff. And uh, this is the problem. Danny always tinkers with things. So I don't know if anyone's seen the Simpsons episode where they go to Tokyo and there's that really high-tech toilet. It's not quite like that, but it's kind of like that. So I go in and do my thing and uh, I let a load off, if you know what I mean. And I go to um, flush the toilet, and I get uh, a really, really, really high-powered enema that just about went up to my tonsils. And so what had happened is Danny likes to fuck with everything, technology. So this toilet had two sliders, right? One slider was what you wanted the toilet to do. This toilet could uh, heat the seat, it could flush, it could be a bidet, effectively, or, um, you know, it probably did music and stuff, too. And the second slider was the power, so anything, like, if you wanted, it, if you wanted the seat warm, but you wanted it very hot, you'd slide that all the way up. If you wanted it to flush really high, you'd turn it all the way up. And on the third setting, all the way up, it will give you the world's most violent enemies. And that's what happened to me, and that's the time I got penetrated.
0: I think that story lived up to the promise, Ed. Thank you very much. I'm just moved in with Danny Bass. Danny, don't fuck with our toilet. (laughs) That's true. Not yet, there aren't. All right. uh, Next up, we have Yusuf Abanama.
5: Hello. Um, When I was in fifth grade, uh, we all went as a class to the (coughs) to see the school guidance counselor, just as like, you know, to say like, hey, I'm here and this is what, this is what I do. But when you're there, and usually when you're in school, you get papers, you know, to fill out to make sure you like, understand what they're teaching you. And I draw, I, that's what I do, and I drew all over it. And so the next week, um, I'm in class and they're like, the guidance counselor wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't think much of it at the time, I was like, okay, whatever. But she wanted to talk to me because she was disturbed by my drawings. <laughs> um, so. You know, I, She pulls out the paper, and she goes through it, and she's like, why is this knight cutting this other guy in half, <laughs> and stuff like that. And I drew, like, battling ninjas, you know, typical stuff. I liked, you know, Spawn and X-Men and stuff like that. You know, so I liked action. And Doom too, you know, I played that a lot. <laughs> so yeah, um, and then she goes through, and she's saying, you know, what you should do is you should start drawing, like, rainbows and fluffy ponies and stuff, and I'm like, and that was one of the first times where I was like, you know what, no, <laughs> um, I don't want to do that. And, and, I, and from then on, I, was always, I always thought like, you know, I, I try to be good in general, but I've always had a problem with rules when I was in school. Like when I was in middle school, I had the second most detentions in the school, all from one teacher, mind you. But, um, <laughs> um, but from then on, I was like, you know, art and stories, which I'm going to use interchangeably because they're the same thing really. Um, it should be uncompromising in a lot of ways. And at that young age, like I was tell- someone was telling me, don't do that because I don't think it's appropriate. And that really always bothered me a lot. Um, and this just kind of goes into stories and storytelling in general, where I think that, um, you know, you have like the Grimm brothers who and like Greek mythology and all it is, it's just ways that you explain the world in a personal experience, right? Um, and, you know, the Grimm brothers explain the, the folklore of Germany and the dark forest, and they, they tell you, like, why you should be afraid of the dark and why you should be afraid of forest and go alone. And throughout time, everyone always tries to kind of defang these stories and take away their edge. And by doing that, you take away what makes it special and why people remember them. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> So, I, I think that like, when you're telling a story or doing art, you shouldn't ever have to really feel like, you know, if you have something to say, you should say it. Um, and yeah, that's my story, basically. <laughs> so.
0: I agree. And that teacher sounds awful. F that teacher who gave you all those attentions. <laughs> I bet she can't draw for shit. <laughs> Alright, okay. guys. <laughs> Danny should yeah. with her toilet. Alright, guys, we're gonna need two more stories and we're gonna take a break. Let's hear from Mr. Chris Crotwell. Woo! I love, love the shirt. This is Thank fucking you. fancy. Mr. Hi, fancy, everybody.
6: Mr. Um, About five and a half years ago, I went backpacking with two friends in the Sipsy Wilderness in Alabama. And just for context, the Sipsy Wilderness is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, it's almost tacky. It's so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. These are the sorts of vistas that even Thomas Kincaid wouldn't try to jam a fucking cottage into.
2: <laughs> it's
6: like, like zippity doo dot, like cartoon singing burbs, birds and assorted small mammals, beautiful. It's amazing. Um, and I loved going there. And I love backpacking. I'm really passionate about it as a hobby. We were going to be out for about six days. Uh, And just to explain what backpacking means when I say backpacking, you've got about a 55 to 70 pound pack, and you try to walk 7 to 10 miles a day. You plot out a route, and it's all about being in motion. Um, But this is sort of what the cycle of it's like. You set up camp, you go to sleep, you wake up, (coughs) You get high. Like, really high. First thing. Immediately, just get super high. And then you take down camp, which takes way longer than you think it should. And for some reason, that tent is fucking complicated. And then you eat some food, and then you, like, you get up, and then you get high again, and then you walk. Like, you walk like five miles, and you stop, and you have lunch. And you marvel at the wonder of nature. And then you get high again. And then you walk. <laughs> and marvel at the wonder of nature. And for the rest of the week, unless you're, like, unless you're around a campfire trying to see how many lyrics to Billy Joel songs you can remember, <laughs> you're just staring at how beautiful the world is, sort of exhausted and in motion. It slows your brain down and, and gives you a way to process how magnificent this space is um, and where we were headed the last stop on our route was the largest tree in Alabama. It's a yellow poplar. It's about 150 feet high and has about a 25-foot circumference. And that's no California redwood, but it's an admirable, like it's an admirable, uh, admirable arboreal specimen, certainly. <laughs> um, it's an impressive tree. But what's great about this tree is not the, just the tree. It's where it is. So it's in this grotto. Full of giant moss-covered boulders. And the reason it's had a chance to get as big as it is, is because it's in a giant half semicircle cliff face with a fucking waterfall on either side. So it's just this giant magic tree <laughs> and like a grotto of moss-covered boulders with a waterfall on both sides. You feel like if you snuck up on it, just like Pan would be hanging out with a bunch of sexy women in like diaphanous white dresses. And everyone's playing lutes and like singing and eating mysterious fruit off gilded trays. It's, it's just amazing. So, so we spent all morning there doing exactly what you'd imagine just like just laying on my back, being so happy. Uh, to be in this incredible place and really high, so high.
2: <laughs>
6: and so when we go to leave, we take a turn, and maybe it's because we're all so relaxed, but uh, we just, we wander straight off the trail. And we don't realize we've done this for hours. And by the time we realize we're lost, we are fucking lost. Like, Really lost, and now there's cliffs everywhere. We're like walking on a 35 degree grade with our packs. There's just a sheer drop there, and we the compass we realized was sticking after about another three hours. So we've been walking on the wrong bearing. So the map didn't even mean anything anymore. <laughs> we're really out there. We're out of food now because this was the last day we were headed back to the car. So we haven't eaten in uh, since that lunch. And it starts getting dark, and we realize we're, we're screwed, so we have to get in touch with someone, because we need help. Uh, this is not a, something we can solve on our own anymore. All of our phones are dying, uh, so it's all crackly. I can't get a hold of anyone, but eventually I, I get one scream sentence out that apparently my wife can understand. Just one sentence, and it's like so, so, so lost police.
3: <laughs> and that's all. That's it. And
6: like, then my phone died, and we're all like, "Well, we're screwed." Um, so we we don't think anyone's coming to help us, and we just decide we have to sleep because we're spent. Uh, but the police did get that message. What they do when that happens is they take a police car and they put them uh, on two points near the trail on the road where they think you might be, and they just blare their sirens to give you auditory points to help navigate yourself way out. And when we start hearing sirens, we're like, okay. So we throw on our packs, and we're booking it through unbroken country in the middle of the night with just shitty flashlights. And we, eventually the sirens go away. The sirens are just gone. And it's because the police just drove off because they didn't think we were going to make it. And they didn't know whether or not we had flashlights. They didn't want us moving at night. So we finally end up in just a parking lot at the end of the trailhead. But we can't sleep there, and my two friends are too tired, so they can't keep going. So I put down my pack, and I run down a country road for what felt like hours and hours and hours. And when I started to give up hope, we, I came up on a house. And right when I started to get really excited that there was a house, all the hope dropped out of the bottom of me. Because it was this giant, terrifying fence with a giant sign on the front that said, Gulf War Veteran. And inside of the <laughs> fence was just a giant lot full of lots of like rural detritus, like caravans and old cars and washing machines and giant pigs.
2: Like eight giant pigs
6: But I couldn't leave my friends out there So I scaled the fence, I hopped over Terrified and exhausted But about to pass out from lack of calories Or water, or sleep Or hope I I get over the fence and I run up to his door And he's like, oh you you must have gotten lost Because this happens to him like six times a year some terrified kid comes up to his door Like, help me Please And I went in and I realized he's a hoarder uh, and his whole house is, every square inch is covered uh, with just every sort of sheet you could possibly imagine, up to the ceiling. And he's in the living room with his two kids who are sleeping on cots in the living room. Um, but he brings me in, we call the cops, and then they say they can't be at his house for another 35, 40 minutes. Um, so he gave me some water, and we sat on the couch. And he looks at me, and he says one of the most memorable sentences of my entire life. He looks at me and says, Do you like to catch a predator? <laughs> oh, and I was like Yeah, I sort of do like, It's a fascinating show So I sat on the couch with The Gulf War veteran and watched uh, Two episodes back to back Of Catch a Predator <laughs> <laughs> Having the sort of banner you'd expect to have Like, oh wow, you know Why do they keep going to this house? You know they watch this show <laughs> um, And, and the, the point of that is that uh, I enjoyed every second of that I loved that. I loved being lost. I loved all of it and I'm a shitty navigator like in my actual life I'm I'm awful at getting around or making decisions or having direction or goals Um, I'm a shitty navigator, but it's okay because I love being lost (laughs)
0: Thank you Chris you have the wildest experiences. All right, guys, we're gonna do one more story, then we're gonna take a short break. So you're happy, everybody?
7: All right, uh, guys, this is a very uh, personal story, very true, 100% accurate, to the letter. I think my fly is open, actually. Um, to the letter, um, uh, my account of my journey to getting moving out to Chicago and getting very settled and very comfortable with what happened in Northern Virginia. Born and raised in the theaters where I spent most of my days. No. <laughs> Chilling out, relaxing, acting all cool. Performing on a stage inside of a school. When a couple of educators who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got one useless degree and my folks got blue. They said, You're moving in with your Uncle Benjamin in Lakeview.
2: <laughs>
7: and before I left, I stopped speaking in couplets because that's when shit got real. My parents and I decided to go see an opera performance before I left to a new state. As we left the theater, we decided to take a detour through Crime Alley, and my parents were (laughs) shot down before my
2: eyes.
7: (laughs) Thankfully, Gary Oldman was there to give me his coat and take me back to the police station so the culprit could be found. He told me I must go to Chicago and fulfill my dream of becoming a famous actor. And as I was leaving the police station, I happened to stumble into their science division, where a one-armed Morgan Freeman with a British accent was conducting experiments for Willem Dafoe, While narrating everything that happened. Uh, While narrating everything that happened around him. And I went to say, Hey, Morgan Freeman, I love you as the voice of every movie. I accidentally startled him, and a giant gamma radiation machine blasted me with gamma radiation. And then a spider bit me. 24 hours later, after vomiting and convulsing, I used my powers, amazing inheritance, and my skills for costume making to become the iron spider bat who sometimes turns into the Hulk. (laughs) <laughs> with the help of my trusty direwolf Michael Kane Kenobi We ventured onwards to Chicago We fought a sinister rogues gallery Which included the devious hotel, hotel manager Duckface Man And the horrible bitch Micromanagess Every night I trained vigorously Using dice-based scenarios Created by the supercomputer Betleytron Along with my loyal Less attractive sidekick Wonder Blake <laughs> Got him! (laughs) Teach him to blow me off this
4: weekend. Uh,
7: I also recruited an astounding league of the most noble warriors, Supertally, Druth, and T. Melzer, to also aid in my quest. Upon my arrival in the Windy City, I saw an audition at the pub theatre, but all was not as it seemed. (laughs) For the casting director, Gyron Smatfield, held me at gunpoint and forced me to take off my clothes shouting, You want fame, Sawyer? Well, fame you, And right here's where you start paying. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out it was all a ruse. It was actually Will- Willem Dafoe in green armor. The Green Dafoe!
2: <laughs>
7: Upon subduing him, he unveiled his evil plot. It was he that murdered my parents because he was jealous of my incredible acting ability. Then he killed my Uncle Benjamin because he was jealous of my superpowers I stole from him. And to make matters worse, he placed a bomb in the theater as a failsafe to destroy my dream city. Thankfully, Gary Oldman showed up to, uh, to take the Green Defoe into custody. How are you going to get rid of the bomb, he asked. I told him, I'm always angry. And I turned for the (Laughter) <ball. laughs> I turned into the Hulk, put on my Batman cape, grabbed my cool sword, and shot giant Hulk webs as I tried to escape with the device. But there was nowhere to put it because nuns and ducks and all this ridiculous shit got in the way. Ever had a day where you just can't get rid of a bomb? I chucked it super far into the water, and Joseph Gordon Levitt got all sad, but I told him it's cool, we're safe, and then he got all happy and danced to Hall and Oates. <laughs> And then Alison Bree showed up and was like, you saved us, let's have lots of sex. And I was like, wait, we gotta get married first. And she was like, wow, that's really refreshing to find such a polite gentleman out there." And I was like, I know, right? And she was like, but I have to tell you, I'm actually a shape-shifting Rebecca Romaine who can turn into any celebrity you want. I hope that's okay. I said on one condition, after getting married, we both take Stamos as our last name. <laughs> and naturally she accepted. So I continued defending the city under the guise of Matches Malone, doing clerical work at a downtown ad agency, keeping this city safe at all costs, dedicating every battle to my parents and my Uncle Benjamin. because winter is always coming. With great power comes great responsibility. For a silent protector, a watchful guardian, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I'm Iron Man. (laughs) And I looked at my kingdom, the Midwestero, to sit on the throne as the prince
0: of Chicago. <laughs> Thank you guys. You guys, your stories is all about burying your soul. Just <laughs> like that. Thank you, sir. That was fantastic. All right, guys.
8: urgency
3: cause I've got to be free free to face the life that's ahead of me
8: on board, I'm the captain so climb aboard i search for tomorrow on every shore and I'll try oh lord I'll try
2: to carry on I can't whistle very
3: well (laughs) I look to
8: my memory
3: some happy some sad think
8: of childhood friends
3: <laughs> dreams were
8: happy
2: <laughs>
8: we lived happily forever so the story goes but
3: somehow we missed ours the part of gold but we'll try best as we A above my head They sang to me this song of hope and this is-
0: Present your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe, The Nerdlogs, and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. Our theme song comes from the band State shirt. For more information on The Nerdlogs, Your Stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdlogs.com.